it's a gross one today, y'all. Welcome to Armor. <laughs> Remember that song? <laughs> Make sure you're not eating during this episode. You're going to wish you weren't. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Armor. This is the exciting podcast for community health, terrifying superbugs, and things you shouldn't Google while you're eating. <laughs> Jam-packed into 45 minutes of excitement. Yeah. And I was just <laughs> laughing about death. Yeah. The intro, so, yes. How are you, Dana? Yeah, oh, I'm doing good. Bomb. That's good. How is well, the since teeth? Last t- the teeth. Well, since last time, actually, as of like an hour ago, I signed up for a dental insurance plan. Oh, which- nice. Yeah, <laughs> you need these things in the United States when you have yeah. 10 cavities. Um, but all is going well. It's not like an extraneous cost. So, okay. yeah, good. it's good. I'm looking good. forward and to it. I'm gonna... and I just thought that if you had like pre-existent conditions, I don't know if it's different for teeth, then uh, it's like, nope, they... no, nope. From my that contract... happened when I got diabetes back home. Oh, Too late for insurance. <laughs> yeah, um... Judging from what I read in the contract, it seems that they only will refuse you treatment if you're, like, a smoker and you mm-hmm. have teeth problems. Or, like, you, you've you never brushed your teeth in six years and you have teeth. Like, that, they, they yeah, so it kind of seems like it's pretty fair where it's like, okay, yeah. like, make a valiant effort to care for your teeth and then we'll help you when things go wrong after that. Okay, that's nice. But then there okay. was this weird line that was, like, we reserve to the right to decide whether or not a treatment is necessary for your disease. And I'm like, excuse you. <laughs> you are not my doctor. That's, that sounds a little bit fishy. Yeah. Like, yeah. But hmm. such as insurance in the United States. But anyway, how are you, Caroline? <laughs> oh, same old, same old, same old. It's not too hot today. So that's It's cooling nice. down lately. Yeah. Yes. That's like positive thing. Um, what else is good? Um, oh, oh um, I fished up a stone from our um, 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 uh, like uh, sink grind thing. Grinder. A stone? Yeah, it said a weird noise. It was a stone. So How, that's nice too. Uh, like an eyeball-sized stone, or maybe like, like maybe like you know, the size of like one of the like links in your finger kind of thing. Oh, like, okay. Okay. Um, so save that. That's nice. Um, you are now officially a plumber. Yes. Caroline. <laughs> Caroline, pharmacist Reaching and out. plumber. <laughs> why, why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yes, I think that's is new. I'm very excited for the next week's episode because we'll have a guest. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned so, for that. Yes. Exciting too. So hyped. Yeah. But let's get into it. Today yes, we're talking yes. more about fecal transplants. Last week we talked about C. diff, a bacteria that is like a bacterial infection that's often treated with fecal transplants, but we we just figured you all wanted to know far more about fecal transplants. So so here you go. As I, I think, said to our producer earlier, who doesn't want to talk about poop? Who doesn't? Yeah, right? Like that's... <laughs> If we're talking about bacteria and their symbiosis with the human body, we're gonna have to talk about poop at some point. So, hang in, everybody. I think the best place to start this discussion is a review of the microbiome for new listeners um, or people who 
aren't super familiar with what the microbiome is, the microbiome is the collection of all of the bacteria in your gut. So you have bacteria sitting all over your body all the time. The only parts of you that are sterile and have zero bacteria in them are things like your your tissues. So when you penetrate skin, um, you probably don't want bacteria the there. The donut no, dough. The donut dough. The donut, yeah. The donut analogy that we are all glorified donuts. We have an inside and an outside, but they are all exposed to bacteria. And in fact, we need bacteria in order to stay healthy. So the donut glaze is where all of our bacteria are, and then the donut dough inside um, that is all sterile. So you want to keep it sterile if you get bacteria in be. those bits. What? Or should be, at least. Right, 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 right. Um, if you get bacteria in those parts of your body, uh, y you'll probably get very sick. Yeah. Or at least localized inflammation. At the, yeah, at yeah, the because you can always, like, if you have a little a little sore or something, it's not too bad. Yeah, but, I, mean, I once tripped it gets on... in your bloodstream, <laughs> so not good. this is not a good moment for me, but I thought I would share it. I um, Last weekend, I ordered food delivery, and they called me when it arrived. So I put on my mask, and I was so excited about food that I, like, ran down the hall, and I tripped on the carpet, oh. and oh, I man. got... Probably the first rug burn I've had since grade school oh, um, on my knee. And now there's some minor inflammation. It's like a little pup. Like, oh. there's probably, like, so much bacteria on that carpet. Like, my skin is probably there now, too. <laughs> but, you know, these things happen. Think about your microbiome like your own personal rainforest. Because it's adorable. Imagine having your own personal rainforest. Guess what? You do. It's in your belly. So, your little rainforest has, like any other rainforest, has a major amount of species diversity, a lot of ecological niches, and catastrophic collapse as a result of damage or disturbance. So, yes, even though uh, we here in Colorado don't see the rainforest directly all the time, we can still tell, um, I mean, I guess not as humans, but scientists can make measurements that can indicate that there is rainforest damage or instability. So decreases in oxygen, increases in carbon dioxide, even temperature fluctuations, and weather pattern changes because the way that storms are sort of like working around the rainforest precipitation cycles, um, that impacts global weather patterns, right? Because if you have like a bunch of water evaporating from one area, creating cloud formations that blocks regular pathways of like hot and cold winds, right? And so Colorado has just been getting hotter and hotter, but in the winter we have like bigger and bigger storms. And yes, you could and in certainly the summertime. connect. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you could certainly connect this to fluctuations within rainforests, fluctuations globally. Mm. Um, it definitely is like one of those things where wherever the climate change is initiated is not necessarily where the feedback returns, right? Mm -hmm. So damages to the rainforest can affect all the other parts of the world, just like damage to the microbiome affects the rest of your body. Yeah, I have a little story. Before coming here to Boulder, my yes. supervisors told me that, uh, oh, it's so nice in Boulder, and it's like, the, the weather is just great. It's only, it's only too hot like one week a year, and it's only too cold one week a year. After getting here, <laughs> he well, he probably didn't lie. He didn't it just got no, much didn't. worse. <laughs> yeah, he was here in the late eighties, I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, that explains it. But um, John, 
You big liar. I'm so warm, John. I'm so warm. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, sorry. Anyways, so back to microbiome. Well, we now that we now that we've revised the microbiome and its its implications, we're going to talk about how fecal transplants uh, play a role in treating conditions that damage or affect the microbiome. Um, so I guess if we go on with like the rainforest analogy, the fecal transplant version of that would be like if a big rainforest was burned or cut down you could sort of just like place a new one over it and even though it didn't grow natively from the same plants that were already there the fact that there's you're reintroducing species diversity will help it along returning to its original healthy state so it's not so much about putting everything there the way it was supposed to it's sort of giving it a big step towards that so that it's easier to catch up um, and there isn't as much opportunity for invasive species to latch in. So same thing with your microbiome. If you have a disease that damages it, so it could be an infection like Clostridium difficile, which is what we talked about in the last episode, C. diff. Um, it causes inflammation and damage to the bacteria in your colon. And again, that allows for invasive species to sort of step in and take over. But then there's other diseases that can cause this as well. So Crohn's disease, which is chronic inflammation of the colon, will cause the same thing. Um, and so then we can come in with fecal transplant treatment, and it's actually proven to be spectacularly effective. I think that mm. it's, it's also immensely low risk. From my research, only one person in history has ever died from a fecal transplant treatment. Something went, went very wrong there. Yeah, and what happened was there's uh, when you're a donor. So here we'll we'll take you we'll take you through the process. So, okay, the donor, right? So it could be any healthy individual. Um, in order to be a donor, you have to do a bunch of tests, um, blood tests and stool tests to determine if you carry any harmful infections that could be passed on. And if everything looks good, then uh, from what I read, you do this at home. Um, you, I mean, it kind of makes sense in a way, Oh, not, it, it depends like, because I, one time, okay, long story, but I, my master's project was a lot about a, a fecal bacteria. Um, and the way to um, test whether it was, uh, the person was still carrying this uh, multi-resistant bacteria was to do like a, um, like a, uh, like a swab. You took a, a swab and like it put it into your rectum and that just like collected the bacteria. Um, but I was thinking like, would you rather do that? Or would you rather like do it in the privacy of your own home? That's true. By yourself. That's true. Like, known environment. Well, okay, yes, stuff, yeah. but, but, I'm, I'm talking about, like, when, so you would, you would do those tests, perhaps you could do them at home, or perhaps you could do them in a hospital. They may even, yeah. like, give you the swab and, like, send you to the bathroom, like they do when mm. they, like, take a urine sample. Yeah. But this, this doctor who, who, like, wrote this, penned this article on the blog on his own, he said, like, the patient just does this at home. They... They, they poop into whatever, like, and then retrieve it and then put it in salt water and mix it up with disposable utensils. I'm just like, would you do this? Okay, in, like, they in do your all kitchen? of that at home. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> like, would that's you keep like, that that's Tupperware like a dedicated container? Donor. Or would you just, that's what I'm saying. Like, 
if you already went through the trouble of testing this person, would you not also mm. give them, like, sterile equipment to use? Yeah, and just... What if you had MRSA on your hand and it got on whatever you were using to stir? Like, anyway, um, the point is you're supposed to homogenize the sample into saline salt water. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. And then... And you know what this means, dear listeners, right? Like, like it's... <laughs> It's fancy word, but like, take the poop, put it in salt water, yeah, mix it up. Mix it up. It's like right, and then um, this doctor again. I just I'm I'm questioning everything about his methods right now. Um, he was like he was like then filter it, then filter it through a coffee filter, and I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem very professional to me. Um, if if it were me, I would probably find a way to do it in in the hospital, where where I know things are sterile yeah. and I know there's not like cross contamination of of anything. Exactly. Also, why you have like personnel to do these things, like yeah. bioanalytics and people like that. And like... Yeah, yeah. So then, I mean, do we have to make the like the the salt water solution yourself? Right. Too? Do you have to make right? like nine percent on what? <laughs> do we... Maybe they give if, you they... saline water or something. But if they can do that, can't they just like? Can they just do it? So then, once you've filtered it through a coffee filter, I guess, um, you are left with a, quote, brown liquid that is just bacteria. I guess so. <laughs> Cute, right? Yeah. Um, and then this is what you give to the hospital, and then they'll do whatever they need to with it, depending on where the, in, the damage to the gastrointestinal tract is for the patient. I wanted to touch a little bit on their requirements for donors. <laughs> Because it's interesting. Oh, yes, um, so you are, if you want to be a donor, if you would like to do this, if we talk, <laughs> if, if I, home. if you got really excited when I told you about filtering your own excrement through a coffee filter. Oh, my, okay, just, just a sec. We just have to say people who do this. Thank you. Thank like, you. This is like, this is an effort. Well, here's like, the other thing. Insurance companies yeah. may or may not cover the preliminary tests you need in order to qualify as a donor. But what tests do you need? Well, you need blood tests and you need stool tests. That can be expensive. Right? Or like for some people. Yeah, depending. Depending depending on your economy and stuff. Insurance needs to get on the fecal transplant business because it's like such a good treatment. It's so smart. Yeah. So you can't have had any antibiotics in the past six months. Makes sense. Right, because sense. antibiotics disrupt your natural microbiome and they're nonspecific. So if you're trying to kill, like, E. coli infection, like maybe you got E. coli and you're in a cut on your hand somehow. Um, mm-hmm. And if you take a, an antibiotic to kill that infection, you're also going to kill the E. coli in your gut. That is important for your health, right? So you're disrupting your microbiome. And remember that next time you feel that you need antibiotics. It may cause more damage than you think. You can't be immunocompromised. Um, also makes sense. Also makes sense because your body can't fight off infections efficiently due to a weakened immune system. So you could have pathogens mm-hmm. in your body. Uh, it, immunocompromised, um, it could be caused by a number of things. It could be a chronic illness to begin with that causes uh, immune mm-hmm. disruption. Or it could even be things like chemotherapy. So some treatments for yeah. other conditions will lead you to be immunocompromised. You cannot have had any tattoo or body piercing in the last six months. 
just like when you donate blood. Yeah. Anything that breaks mm. skin can introduce pathogens. And yeah. even if it's like a minor infection, the pathogens can still travel through your blood to the gut where it can pass yeah. to someone who is a recipient of a transplant and would but be made much more sick. I have a question. Mm. Um, but shouldn't all of this kind of be checked with the test you do beforehand? I mean, yeah, they so... do a fecal frog, right? So shouldn't they test if you have some kind of weird... Yeah, but sometimes, like, I, I had, like, ear lobe piercings heal in, like, two mm-hmm. weeks but I had my cartilage pierced recently and my ears are like pretty sensitive to metal it took like a full year before it stopped swelling so maybe even if there's not an active infection it's still like weaker tissue mm-hmm. where maybe it's possible to catch an infection even if they test you for it so I think it just introduces like yeah. variability that they're not taking chances with yeah Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll accept I it. I will accept it. it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, yeah. It's just, it's more like, what if someone really needed a donor and they couldn't find any? I mean, that's more like my. But I guess like um, gastrointestinal, like my, the microbiome. Right. It's not. It's not like health. an organ donor it's, where everything no, has to line no. up. It can literally be anyone. Absolutely. Who's willing to? Go anyone on? who's willing to use a coffee filter <laughs> to clean yeah. up their own excrement. This is, these are the real heroes. These are the real heroes like, using like a disposable a knife from a takeout there. joint to mix it or like a one chopstick. <laughs> it's just good job. Guys. Claps. Just, Claps for people yes. who are willing to do that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next, Next one. one. Hit me, Dana. Anyone who has had any history of drug use. Okay. So, I mean, I get if you... Uh, do like 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 anything like subcutaneously or like intravenous if you shoot yourself up with something that makes sense yes but i mean like a little bit of does weed count i i mean does caffeine count caffeine's oh, yeah. a drug like <laughs> come on like also like what if you have been on like pain medication that's like the same that some people yeah. misuse too like yeah I guess maybe mm. another... What if you have ADHD? Ritalin? Right. Amphetamine? I mean, like, that's... Yeah, and maybe this list wasn't being super specific. Like, maybe they are talking just about things that could be, like, subcutaneous and past disease from person mm-hmm. to person. Um, yeah. So, like, caffeine and marijuana probably wouldn't count. Um, or alcohol. Mm. Like, you know. Yeah, that could be I very... imagine... I think it could also be damaging to your flora. It could, yeah, right? And same thing with opioids. Like, they could potentially... But mm. where are these straight-edge people? Like, what in the Venn diagram of people who are already willing to poop in a Tupperware container, mix it around on their mm. kitchen counter, and then filter it through a coffee filter, where does that intersect with people who do not consume any drugs whatsoever? Like, it's one guy. <laughs> who made these who rules? Who made these rules? Well, okay, we can get into that. So... A few of the others, I'll say them quickly. You can't be a donor if you have any history of, quote, high-risk sexual behavior. What does that mean? Um, I guess we're talking... A lot of partners? A lot of partners or not using a condom. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Or, yeah, like anything that could potentially... I'm married and an idiot. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 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 I don't remember stuff. (laughs) <laughs> um 
any history of incarceration. You can't be a donor if you've ever been to prison. What? So here's the thing. Like, it just it just gets worse and worse. And, and what's going on here is that doctors are trying to say we will only accept donors who have, like, never and have never and will not ever engage in anything that is considered exposing themselves to disease. And the difficult thing about this is that they have to, like, be explicit, right? In order to, they can't just be, like, avoid disease conditions or avoid Mm -hmm. predisposing yourself to disease conditions. Um, So they make up these weird rules that are, like, cringy, off-putting, borderline discriminatory, like... Yeah. Not great, yeah, so... so I was was starting to think about the whole incarcerated thing, and then I was like... But why would they have a worse... Because they're like, oh, you're clearly not responsible. And so we can't... But you can go to jail for a lot of things. (laughs) You can go to jail for... Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, and then I thought maybe... I've heard that especially prisoners... Okay, and please correct me if I'm wrong. But that... But like prisoners in the the States are not getting the best food. Like it's very high carbs and stuff. So they get yeah, a bit older way than yeah. So maybe yeah. that's why, but it's probably not. Probably people just probably just want to be. I don't know. Right, like your microbiome can recover. Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever incarcerated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's messy and annoying, mm-hmm. and I don't like it. Um, and you can't donate if you've recently traveled to endemic areas, which again makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and you can't donate if you have any chronic gastrointestinal disorders, so inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease. Um, (laughs) in fact, if if you have that, you probably need a fecal transplant yourself. (laughs) You shouldn't be going around donating. This is not for you. You need this. Yourself, yeah. So, let's talk about how the patient is actually getting a hold of this. This is okay. So so we revisit our little donor guy. That that cross section, the one guy <laughs> who has never been to prison, doesn't has never done any drugs, no tattoos, no piercings, um and it is no diseases just at all. No no diseases, right? Like has lives in a bubble and and also like doesn't consume any drugs. This guy has, you know, mixed everything up. He has his brown liquid. He's still trying to figure out what to do with the leftover, like, clump in the filter. He's just like, ugh. Um, and... Oh, no. I imagine that they would give him, like, like, when you go to give a urine sample at the doctor, they give Mm. you, like, a a sterile little jar, right? And and it's, like, sealed and, like, auto... You're very red in the face right now, Caroline. I'm sorry. I just... (laughs) Sorry, I just rubbed my eyes. I was just starting to fit... Like, is coffee filters like biodegradable? Could you maybe just flush it all down the toilet after? They are biodegradable, but yeah. (laughs) And like, yeah, poop needs to go in the toilet. Yeah. yeah, Or if you're in Boulder, you could probably compost it all. Probably, (laughs) but then then you would then you would have to kind of have your own compost, but because otherwise you would have to put it in like the trash can for like. uh, You'd have to like walk across the parking lot with your little coffee filter. (laughs) Hey neighbor! No, 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 go away! Howdy neighbor! (laughs) Don't mind me. I'm contributing to the good of humanity and community health. And it's just, it's just such a selfless act. It's just pure good. Pure good. 
Okay, so I imagine that you would take the leftover liquid, right, and you would put it in some kind of like a sterile container. Yeah. And close that and then bring it back to your doctor, whoever mm-hmm. you've been working with to, to give the, the, yeah. the transplant donation to. Um, so then depending on where that patient's microbiome is suffering, they administer this liquid in a number of ways. Um, and oftentimes it can also be frozen. So once you bring it to doctors, they will like cryogenically freeze it mm-hmm. and then they'll take from this sample for, for many, many people who need fecal transplants. And so that's what happened with that one guy that died. Um, it was bef- it was when they were doing all of the tests to make sure that this individual didn't have any, any pathogens in their gut, but they weren't testing for pathogens that are extremely rare in healthy people. So there's one strain of E. coli that if you're healthy, it, it's like a 99.9% chance that you do not have this strain of E. coli. Mm-hmm. And this person did, and it's super rare, oh, and, and like, yeah. right, and so the the people who were commenting on this case were like, in hindsight, we absolutely should have tested, but we didn't think it was necessary because of how insanely rare it is for a, a person to show no symptoms yeah. and carry this strain of E. coli. So they actually gave uh, fecal transplants to several, there were like eight or nine patients who got this transplant from this particular donor but only one of them got sick oh. so which which is interesting right yeah, also, that, but um, like the donor wasn't sick like actively sick he was no, just carrying no. something that was a little bit yeah because also like he yeah we don't know why he needed this transplant but i mean there mm-hmm. could be some damage to his um his intestines too yeah so, i think like, he was like the oldest among okay. the pool of people who all got that which is mm-hmm you know, unfortunate. And now that they've updated regulations, now that doesn't happen anymore. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, that's how it works sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like, at least we learned from it. Mm Mm-hmm. So now, the transplant, if you have upper gastrointestinal damage, um, so usually, like, the the first half of your small intestine, um, they'll probably just give you the the fecal transplant orally. Um... And, and don't worry, you, they, they make it into, like, a little pill, so you don't have to, like, I, I'm not going any further with that sentence. Um, and then if you have, uh, or, or, okay, so if they don't give you the capsule, then they'll also deliver it um, nasogastrically. So they put a tube down your nose and then just pour it. So you don't have to, like, taste it or interact oh. with it or anything. So, yeah. But, of course, nasogastric feeding is is uncomfortable yeah, yeah to have a tube yeah that's not so either and then it yeah. has to be a liquid too yes so you can't really but maybe they yeah. make it like a paste or something yeah i don't know oh yeah yeah Just get it done it quickly has to go get it in the stomach yeah, yeah 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 so then if you have a uh, mid gastrointestinal damage um that one they'll primarily do it nasogastrically in that case um and then if you have lower gastrointestinal damage, they'll do it uh, colonoscopically mm-hmm. uh, through the butt. Mm-hmm. They'll put the tube in your butt and they'll just give you what you need. Yeah. Which is also, I'm pretty sure people are just like sedated because it's like so uncomfortable to have that, yeah, that happen. Yeah, that's normally the case with... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gross. Fun What's fact. What's What's that? Is it... Col- 
Well, colonoscopy is what they use to, like, survey the area. Yeah, Yeah, they just put a camera on the tip of, like, a little Mm. thing and move around. Um, But I I made it an adjective or an adverb. (laughs) I said colonoscopically, which I'm not sure is a real word, but I felt felt very, like, big galaxy brain when I said it. Um, So, so, uh, fun fact... uh, insurance companies won't cover the cost of the tests you need to do to determine if you can be a donor and they also I don't know why my partner just like made little motions at me from the doorway it's very spooky. Is something happening? Nothing, I don't think anything is happening I looked up and he ran away <laughs> Hello. Um, where was I going? Uh, yes. So, insurance companies will not cover the cost of the tests that you need in order to determine whether or not you could be a donor. They also won't cover the cost of the transplant itself. Which is bizarre, right? But the argument is that since it's not FDA approved, uh, insurance companies won't, won't pay for it. But, but here's the thing. You only need FDA approval for something, if you're introducing, like, a foreign chemical or foreign molecule into the body, yeah. at least in terms of, like, a, this, this kind of, like, treatment where you would, like, take a thing, um, not for, like, surgical implants and stuff like that, but if you're introducing something into your body, you only need FDA approval if there's some, like, foreign body or foreign chemical in it. So antibiotics, right, would be an example, or... GM like GMOs right like oh mm. who knows what's in it right like people will argue that you need FDA approval for these kinds of things but not for bacteria that are native to your body already right that we already have a symbiotic relationship with and of course these bacteria vary from person to person but we have like 150 200 specific strains of bacteria that are found in everyone's body so it's not like we're introducing something that's new Right, and, and, and it doesn't even, like, provide, provoke an immune response because we're not inserting it anywhere beneath tissue or beneath the skin. So we don't need FDA approval for it, but then insurance companies won't cover it unless there's FDA approval. So it's a whole mess, and, and just, like, in there using it without that FDA approval, we've already shown enough success with it that it, it just should be granted approval, but yeah. it hasn't yet, so... Big sigh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really... Yeah. So. Yeah, sorry. If you're a patient... I don't know what to say. (laughs) It's just... Just why wouldn't... I mean, yeah. I know. That's the thing about everything being privatized over here and have to be covered by insurances and stuff. Like... Everyone should just have the best possible treatment for that person. Yeah. Like the best and cheapest. Yes. Yes. That's what I think. I mean, I guess you could even make the argument that pharmaceutical companies want you to continue being reliant upon, like, their antibiotics if you have an infection or their drugs to help you cope with chronic illness if you have an infection rather than just, like, resolving it right away. So I imagine pharmaceutical companies are probably, like, blocking any push for FDA approval for this. It's a mess. Yeah, it's hard to know where the the like this this uh, the lack of speed comes from, or mm. like the lack of uh, let's yeah let's use this more. Attitude. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, there's I mean, whole... I'm thinking maybe because... Oh, sorry. Th- there's like, a whole... Antibiotics isn't... <laughs> You're gonna need to talk first. Okay, I'm sorry. Good. Like, because antibiotics, as it is, isn't that great a business. Um, yeah. A lot of the ones we use are very old and they like there's no pattern on them anymore and stuff. So maybe it's like even more important that companies protect like the treatments they have because like there isn't that much money anymore either. So I don't know. Right. Sorry. What was you go what was what what I actually what? forgot. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's blah, okay. Blah. What what was were you going to say? Oh, words. You escaped me. It may come back eventually. Yeah. So, the patient, from the patient side. Yeah. Um, if you are getting a fecal transplant, um, the first thing that you're going to want to do, if you're taking antibiotics for C. diff or whatever is causing damage, um, you take them for several days and then you stop. So you, like, wipe out and weaken the existing pathogens and for 12 to 48 hours, you don't take anything. Um, and so this is usually when bacteria are still, like, ugh, like rallying after after being, like, slapped around a bit by an antibiotic. Mm. And then, and of course, like, you don't want to be taking antibiotics right before the transplant because antibiotics stay in your system for probably, like, a day. It depends on that. Yeah, right. Yeah. 12 to 48 hours, don't take any antibiotics because you don't want to kill the bacteria that you're receiving. The new ones. The new guys, right? <laughs> you want to be welcoming and, and fun, right? Um, come and live here. Yeah, come and live here. Yes. So then you begin your, your fecal transplant treatment. However you get it. How, how In whatever way you need. It's wildly yeah. successful, very low risk. It's great. Yeah. And you can get other benefits from them, like other benefits than just um, than just getting rid of a bacteria. Mm-hmm. Like uh, your whole metabolism can change. Yeah. To the better. Your microbiome also, like, affects like your sleep patterns and your emotions mm. and your energy levels and like bloating and water retention and all sorts of things. Your micro, like the more we learn about it, the more we learn that the microbiome is like the key it's the thing. Health. Yeah, it's the thing. Yeah, it's it's the next big thing. So yeah. with that, actually, we can segue into one very cool thing I saw that is currently being studied to see if fecal transplants can actually address it. Mm-hmm. It's peanut allergies. Oh, oh helps yeah. so many people. Right. So so it stems from and uh, me too, who's afraid of killing other people with peanuts. There you go. Yeah. Like if we could yeah. cure, like imagine curing a peanut allergy. That'd be nuts. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're, like, 80 years old. We're, like, oh, I See remember growing up. Yeah, right. <laughs> Puns all around. It was not intentional. I just... <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Bananas. So, the the theory is, right, there was a previous study that did uh, a survey of the microbiome of people who have peanut allergies and people who don't. And between them, there were at least 70 strains of bacteria that were completely missing from the uh, individual with the allergy completely missing from their microbiome. So it, it, it might have some implications with the, the sort of intense response to the peanut protein. So the theory mm. is that if you can sort of replace that microbiome with that of a healthy person, would it cause it, like, would it hurt the person first of all? And second of all, would it actually create 
uh, more uh, less of a reaction when they're exposed to peanuts. They express it as like a conflict <laughs> in the paper. I read like it's not really a paper yet because it's just like a declaration of the study that they're about to do. Mm. They haven't gotten results yet or haven't published the results yet. But they'll say like the individual will be given a peanut conflict. <laughs> And I thought that was, like, adorable, but also, like, I really hope that they're not just, like, giving people with peanut allergies peanut protein and seeing what happens. Like, I'm sure that it's more, like, a a prick test, right? And not, like, is your throat gonna swell up? Like, probably not. It's it's probably far more ethical than than that, so. Yeah. But that would be so nice. That would be so nice for so many people. I mean, and... I mean, peanut allergy is often, like, the worst one, but other nut allergies is bad, too. Yeah. And, yeah, you never know. I had, I had this one um, friend one time who had a girlfriend who had, like, a severe nut allergy. And we lived in, like, a dorm room, so we shared a kitchen. Um, and every time they had to cook, they would just clean everything up again, even though it was clean. Like, because, like, who knows, man? Like, this could really kill her. Yeah. 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 My, my best friend growing up had a severe peanut allergy. And it was fun to go trick or treating with her because I got all the candy from her. That she uh, and I and I didn't like like the almond candy. Like almond joys were some of her favorites, and I I hate them. So I don't like full nuts in my chocolate. I I'm a texture person. <laughs> I prefer textures of food over flavor. And so if there's like a big old almond in the middle of my supposed to be soft chocolate bar, I'm very annoyed. <laughs> so I like Reese's cups. Come next this. Reese's cups are my fave, yeah. and she gave me okay. all of those, and then I got like, no, Snickers, which weren't that great, but. And then I, I gave can't her wait, wait to experience a Halloween here. It's going to be so great. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably not going to be the same though, but. Well, yeah, and I don't think people really go trick or treating in your neighborhood that much. I know where you live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's like not. Well, it's it's not like rambunctiously suburban enough for there to be like little kids in costumes to you might get a couple on like a regular year we never get them in apartment complexes sadly Mm. no oh well oh well well, i mean who will really go trick-and-treating with a pandemic yeah i mean i would still want candy candy? but i wouldn't i'd be like sitting on the other side of the yard be like trick or treat (laughs) throw it at me and i'll try to catch it (laughs) Yeah, I would do that. Cody, yeah, you had to buy candy that had like a good uh, weight to it. So right. You could, like throw it by. You could get like the king size yeah. bars and just like chuck them and they like spin around yes. like a Bowie knife. Yeah. Go deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. If I would have yeah. to find a costume that like really jives with the mask. Oh, yeah, yeah, like Plague Doctor. Plague Doctor. Plague Doctor, Doctor. yes. Also, it goes back to like the. Where you had to dress scary for Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. People don't don't necessarily do that anymore. Dress scary to scare away coronavirus. <laughs> it's a very no. Eastern European thing, I think, to like decide yeah. you don't like an abstract concept and then just dress up to scare it away. They would do that with like winter in Lithuania. <laughs> <laughs> Go away, winter. Go away, winter. Oh. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Oh, yeah, sorry, that was a side topic. Little side Very topic, side just topic. excited about Halloween, yeah. but that's all we got and for you today. peanut allergy eradication, too. Always be educated about peanut allergies. Be prepared to stab someone in the leg with an EpiPen, even if you don't know them. Yeah. 
Listen to our podcast. They come out every week, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CU underscore armor. We also meet every Tuesday at 2.30 via Zoom. We are still socially distancing. So if you want to join, you can send us a DM. If you don't live in Colorado or your community has unique needs, you should start your own chapter of armor. Learn more about how to do that at our website, arclabs.org forward slash armor. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.